thank you for choosing to use the John Knox House audio tour. Throughout the house, there are numbered points where you will hear more information about what you can see at John Knox House. Audio point one. In the time of John Knox and James Mossman, what is now the reception area of the storytelling centre was a shopping centre. The jeweller's shop was at the front windows. In the gallery where the bookcases are, five or six other trades displayed their wares, including a cutlery maker, a furrier, and a tailor. Each pillared section in the gallery had a luckin booth or locking booth for daytime display. Each trader also had a cellar for storage and manufacture below. Step into the gallery to feel the original external wall and see the cellar stairs. Then step back into reception. In the 16th century, there was also access to the shops next door through the archway that now leads to the modern part of the storytelling centre. Please move to the outside of the building, through the front door, where you will find audio point. Two. Audio point two. John Knox's house looks so picturesque that people have said it's a reproduction or fake. In fact, it is Edinburgh's only surviving medieval mansion, complete with its overhanging timber galleries. Here, multiple entrances led to the shops or booths on the ground floor, and to the foreland house. And backland house to the rear, which were originally separate. The frontage is particularly grand, with its classically correct Doric columns and wreaths. The coat of arms is that of the Mossmans, royal goldsmiths to the medieval Stuart kings and makers of the Scottish crown. The initials can be read vertically or horizontally. J M and M A. Indicate the marriage of James Mossman and Marietta Ares, an heiress who owned the house. Following their marriage in 1559, the house was subject to a major upgrading, including this new stone facade. The sundial shows Moses receiving the light of God, symbolized by the sun on Mount Sinai. When Jesus in the New Testament was asked what is the most important thing in the law of Moses, he said, in the Scots version carved on the facade, "Love God above all, and your neighbour as yourself." James Mossman was a traditional Catholic. He was devoted to the Queen Regent Marie de Guise and then to her daughter Mary, Queen of Scots. But the house was also to become associated with John Knox, the great enemy of the two Catholic queens. Because of the belief that Knox had lived here, the house was repeatedly saved from demolition. There is a possibility that the great reformer died in the house, but it was not his manse or permanent residence in Edinburgh. If you move now towards the road, you can see the outside stair or fore stair that led into the upper part of the front house. Climb this stair to the viewing point beside the new Netherbow Tower, and you will reach 
Audio point three. Audio point three. This is the halfway point of the Royal Mile. Downhill, you can see Holyrood with Aberlady Bay in the far distance. Look uphill to St Giles Cathedral and Edinburgh Castle. John Knox was the first Protestant minister of St Giles Church after the Scottish Reformation in 1560. The halfway point is called the Nether Bow or Lower Bend. Until 1764, when it was demolished, the Nether Bow Port divided Edinburgh from the separate borough of the Cannon Gate. The port, Edinburgh's principal gateway, was first sighted beside John Knox's house, and then moved in 1513, after the Battle of Flodden, to the crossroads below. Beyond the gates, people said, was the world's end. The contemporary Netherbow Tower beside you displays two features from the gateway. The sculptured panel of 1606 commemorates the escape of James VI and I and of Queen Anne from the Guy Fawkes gunpowder plot. It bears James' personal motto: "Blessed are the peacemakers, beati pacifici," and "God save the king." At the top of the tower is Edinburgh's city bell, commissioned by the Senate and people of Edinburgh from Holland in 1621. It bears the mottoes "To God be the glory," and "Ward or medal we me." You can see the bell from further down the street. The Netherbow Port was reconstructed and elaborately ornamented in honour of James the Sixth and First, after he moved to London in 1603 to become the first ruler of England and Scotland. The people of Edinburgh wished to remind him that he had another capital city in the north. Please move back inside the house to continue your tour. The introduction to the museum is through the swing door on the left of reception. Mind your head under the low doorway. Please take time to listen to the dramatised audio tape in the seated area before continuing up the turnpike stair to audio point four on the landing. Audio point four. The turnpike or spiral stair you have just come up. Give access to the upper floors of both the front and back houses. The Mossmans used the house as a place of business and of manufacture, as well as their home. Goldsmiths were jewellers, pawnbrokers, and moneylenders. Apprentices and relations were accommodated with the domestic, more private space above. Managing the household was a demanding professional task for Mariotta Ares, Mossman's first wife. Likewise, when John Knox lived here during the siege of Edinburgh Castle, the house would be constantly busy with messengers, visitors, and servants, including Knox's secretary Richard Bannatyne. Even in his last illness, Knox's pronouncements and views were given great importance. By this time, too, John Knox was married to his second wife, Margaret, 
and had three daughters in addition to two sons from his first marriage. If you return to the stair, audio point five is in the book room to the left. Please mind your head on the low doorways. They are made of stone. Audio point five. The Reformation began in Europe and involved those like Erasmus, who remained Catholic reformers, as well as Protestants like Martin Luther, Calvin, and John Knox. The movement arose because scholars were rediscovering the languages and cultures of the past, so putting ideas in their original historical context. The invention of printing, along with the spread of education in the growing towns, meant that debates on religion and politics became widespread. Protestants wanted everyone to read the Bible for themselves in their own languages, rather than Latin, which belonged to an educated elite. In case three, you can see the Bassendine Bible, the first English Bible to be printed in Scotland. It was printed in the Netherbow in 1572 to three. Amongst the important European figures in these debates were Knox's teacher John Mayer, a Catholic philosopher, and the poet and historian George Buchanan. His History of Scotland, which is also in Case Three, argued that rulers were subject to the sovereignty of the people, and that unjust monarchs should be deposed. John Knox himself was to write a history of the Reformation in Scotland, but it is more a passionate defence of his cause and his actions than an objective history. This can be seen in Case Five. One of the big arguments between Protestants and Roman Catholics was about the role of the Mass or Communion service in Christianity. The debate between John Knox and the Abbot of Crossraguel was printed in 1563 in the Netherbow. It is at the foot of Case Five. The Victorian painting hanging over the fireplace is by William Dice, and shows Knox conducting the first Protestant communion in Scotland on a secret visit in 1557 to eight. Knox is depicted like Jesus at the Last Supper. Please pass through the passageway ahead to move into the Mossman Room. Audio point six is at the far side of the room. Audio point six. In the early sixteenth century, before the fifteen sixty Reformation, Edinburgh was a wealthy and expanding town. The Mossmans were prominent in the city's economic life because of their goldsmith's craft, as well as being jewellers. Goldsmiths were pawnbrokers and moneylenders. In the 16th century, this room would have had panelling, perhaps ornamented with carvings. The work table below the window displays the tools of the goldsmith's craft. The Mossmans often made jewellery for Mary, Queen of Scots. In addition, the Mossmans acted as the royal assay, 
responsible for ensuring the coinage had the correct balance of precious and base metals. Some of the Mossman's wealth was used to sponsor the church, in particular the magnificent town kirk of St Giles. The goldsmiths shared a chapel there with the hammermen or metal workers, dedicated to their patron Saint Eligius, who is in the niche on your left. The blue blanket or banner of the Holy Ghost hung in the chapel. You can see a replica of the banner on the far wall. There, masses were said for dead craft members and meetings held to dispense charity to widows and orphans. The 20th century ceramics above the fireplace are by Zelcho Kujunzik and are reproductions of coins made while the Mossmans were keepers and assays to the royal mint. The coins feature portraits of the Stuart monarchs. The fireplace itself is a fine example of Dutch tiling, dating to the early 17th century. The elaborate vase of flowers was the trade sign of the Bloempot tile factory in Rotterdam. Security was an issue in those times, and the small strong box in the case to the right of the fireplace would have held jewels or gold coins. Minting coins was a highly skilled craft. The Royal Mint in the Mossman's time was at Holyrood Palace. The display case next on your right contains Scottish coins from the 1559 to 72 period. Please continue through the passage beyond audio point 6 to audio point 7. Audio point 7. Mossman's life and prosperity ended tragically in a civil war between supporters of the now exiled Queen Mary and supporters of the new Protestant regime of her infant son, James. Pawning the crown jewels to buy weapons, Mossman participated in a three-year defence of Edinburgh Castle for the Queen and using his knowledge of minting, he produced coins bearing Mary's head. These were both capital offences. When the castle fell in 1573, Mossman was among only three of the defenders selected for execution. James Mossman was dragged backwards up the street below us in a low cart and hanged at the Market Cross beside St Giles Cathedral. Crime and punishment were brutal realities in 16th century Edinburgh. The scold's bridle at the bottom of the case was the punishment for gossiping, slander or verbal abuse. It was fitted over the gossip's head and locked in place. The siege of Edinburgh Castle between 1569 and 1573 caused a lengthy blockade of the town and huge damage to property. The plan displayed in the gallery was reproduced in Holinshed's Chronicle, probably from eyewitness information. To continue your tour, please make your way back through the Mossman Room 
and carry on up the stairs on your left into the first room on your right, where you will find audio point eight. Audio point eight. When John Knox returned to Scotland from exile in Europe in 1559, it was to take part in a revolution against the Catholic and French rule of Marie de Guise. The aim was to depose Marie de Guise and abolish the legal authority of the Pope in Scots law, along with the Mass. This was achieved, but Knox had wanted to go much further. Establishing a godly society and using the wealth of the church to set up schools and social security in every parish. In this, he was frustrated, because the nobility wanted the lands and wealth of the church for themselves, and because Mary Queen of Scots maintained her mother's support for Roman Catholicism. However. Knox became an icon of later Scottish values of education, equality, and hard work. The stained glass image in the window is by James Ballantyne, the Victorian artist and popular poet. The painted panel over the fireplace depicts the biblical story of Lot and his daughters. Sodom and Gomorrah are burning in the background. It is sometimes wrongly said that the Reformation banned the visual arts in Scotland. Religious art was excluded from churches, but thrived in domestic decoration and printed books. Take a seat and listen to an extract from the Kirk's Scots Confession of 1561 at the bench speakers. Before retracing your steps to the top of the stairs. And onto the landing on your right. Again, please take care. The doorways are very low. Audio point nine. The top of the turnpike stairs shows the increasing difference in level between the front and back sections of the house, clearly showing the originally separate properties. After James Mossman's death. His widow and second wife Janet King eventually recovered the house as her marriage portion, or in effect, pension. Subletting and so subdivision became the order of the day, as this landing shows. It is the lobby for a separate residence with its own front door and door knocker. In the seventeenth century. Despite the differences in level, subdivision became by floors, with each resident occupying back and front rooms, foreland and backland. In front of you is the principal room of the fine second-floor residence of that later period, which continued to be occupied by the landowning or merchant class, though not. On the Mossman scale of affluence. To listen to audio point ten, please move through the room to the gallery at the front of the building, on the right. Audio point ten. In fifteen sixty one, despite the Protestant Revolution led by John Knox, Mary Queen of Scots had returned to occupy the Scottish throne. 
Many Scots presumed that the good old days had returned and that the traditional Catholic faith would be restored. In fact, Mary's return was the signal for bitter religious and political conflict, not least between Knox and the young Queen. The Mossmans rejoiced at Mary's return and redecorated this their main room. They established a pattern of elaborate decoration continued by succeeding occupiers. The tiles in the fireplace were rescued from other old town houses which were demolished in the 19th century. The painted ceiling you can see today probably dates from around 1600 and is a riot of imagery and originally a riot of strong colours. There are signs of the zodiac, winged fairies and devils. These patterns existed as painters' conventions from which clients could select. Here, the client's taste seems to have been wide-ranging, exuberant and humorously bawdy. The painted panel on the left of the room depicts the biblical story of Cain and Abel. Note also the replica of a Jacobean chest with Masonic symbolism. This belongs to the same mood and atmosphere, the time of witchcraft trials, religious persecution and new philosophies. You can listen to a conversation between Mary Queen of Scots and John Knox by pressing the button on the panel on the chest or kissed. Audio point 11 is beyond audio point 10 in the tiny gallery traditionally believed to have been John Knox's study. Audio point 11. Despite their profound differences, both John Knox and Mary Queen of Scots were sincere religious believers. Tragically, the politics of the day put them in opposing camps and led to much suffering and to death. The royal lion carving above the fireplace is dated 31st October 1561, the year of Mary's return to Scotland. John Knox and Mary Queen of Scots both left moving last prayers. And so I end, rendering my troubled and sorrowful spirit in the hands of the eternal God, earnestly trusting at his good pleasure to be freed from the cares of this miserable life and to rest with Christ Jesus, my only hope and life. Into thy hands, O God, I commend my soul. We hope that you have enjoyed this audio tour of John Knox House. Please make your way back to reception and continue your visit with the Storytelling Centre Cafe and Exhibition.